hppodcraft.com. Krantz, you said that there were events in your own life, or connected with it, which would corroborate the mysterious tale I confided to you. Will you now tell me to what you referred? Certainly, replied Krantz. I've often thought of doing so, but one circumstance or another has hitherto prevented me. This is, however, a fitting opportunity. Prepare, therefore, to listen to a strange story, quite as strange, perhaps, as your own. I take it for granted that you have heard people speak of the Hearts Mountains. You have just heard a bit of dialogue from The White Wolf of the Hearts Mountains by Frederick Marriott, and you're listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Here at HPPodcraft.com, I am Chris Lackey. And I am Chad Pfeiffer, and this is the opening howl of Werewolf History Month. We are here, finally. A lot of people seem pretty excited about this. What's not to be excited about? There were some good Monster Party 2014 posters up on Facebook. I saw those, yes. Yeah. Uh, We're joined again by fantastic reader Andrew Lehman. Man, he's bringing the thunder. He's bringing the thunder. I thought that'd be a great way to kick off this event. Speaking of which, if you're in America, the Super Bowl was just this past weekend. Mm -hmm. I watched a little of it. It was a pretty boring game. Seattle shut Denver out really quickly. All right. And then the ads were also... uh, really dull for Super Bowl ads. And I thought, this might be our chance to eclipse the popularity of the Super Bowl with Werewolf History Month. Yeah. This could be the new premiere event. Yeah. And I don't mean just our shows, but, you know, our advertisers, too. Oh, Fiverr, this week's advertiser is Modifius Entertainment. And they're the awesome game company that brought you Octoon Cthulhu. That's, yeah, that's how I know them. Well, I backed that project, and I'm so glad I did. Beautiful books, awesome writing, awesome artwork. They do great, great stuff. Well, they're producing a third edition of Mutant Chronicles. I'm not too familiar with that game, but I recall it being a big deal like in the 90s. That's right. Yeah, it was a big 90s thing. And it had a board game, a role-playing game, right. a video game, and a movie. I mean, it was a movie that had Thomas Jane, John Malkovich. Oh, yeah. The Mutant Chronicles. I do remember that. It's a bad movie. I met the director and... I did a workshop and I found out he was the director of it and he, he was talking about it. He goes, I did this movie, Mutant Chronicles. I didn't have any say over the script and uh, it was a really bad script, but, and he did, visually, it's pretty impressive and he did uh, a great job with it and I was talking to him a long time and he goes, yeah, it's based on this crazy role-playing game. Have you heard, of, do you know what a role-playing game is? And I'm like, <laughs> do I? It, if he only knew. <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, I know about Mutant Chronicles. Well, anyway, they're doing a third edition of it and it's this okay. really cool, kind of, it's futuristic it's diesel punk, I guess is the best way to describe it, because there are these invading undead alien things that sort of zap away technology. So they're using this sort of old tech to fight these these monsters. Now, that's the setting of Mutant Chronicles. The third edition of it is before the mutants invade. So it's sort of a more investigation style. Okay. So it, and, and it's more kind of call Cthulhu-y because there's these cults and there's weird religion stuff and there's this strange tech. And it's going to be pretty cool. If you look at the Kickstarter, go go to it. They're already successful. So if you want to get involved, get involved now. There's a bunch of stretch goals. It's just really cool Kickstarter. Watch the video. It will sell you, I promise. Yeah, yeah. I watched the video and it was really cool. And I got the Lovecraftian influence right away. And, yeah. you know, I, and it's got a neat look. The different types of characters that were in it and stuff seem like something that people are really going to like that listen to our show. So definitely we'll put the Kickstarter in our show notes. Go check it out. Throw a couple bucks their way. It's going to be a cool product when it's successful yeah. and done. All right, let's get on to the, the White Wolf of Hearts Mountain, a.k.a. 
the werewolf. That's right. Lovecraft in supernatural horror and literature, he didn't have too much to say about this story, but this is the excerpt of what he wrote. Captain Marriott, besides writing such short tales as The Werewolf, made a memorable contribution in The Phantom Ship of 1839, founded on the legend of the Flying Dutchman, whose spectral and accursed vessel sails forever near the Cape of Good Hope. So that's really all he had to say about it, but he titled this story The Werewolf. As far as I could tell, that's this is just an alternative name for the White Wolf of the Hearts Mountains, which is in the Phantom Ship. It's one of the chapters in there. Right, right. Did, did he collaborate with Tennille at all? <laughs> hey, man, you know the captain and Tennille are breaking up? What? What? Did you hear about that? No. Yeah, the Captain Tennille, the 70s, you know, love will keep us together. I guess yeah. Tennille filed for divorce. Oh. I know. <laughs> it was pretty upsetting, but here's the nugget about it that really blew my mind. Uh-huh. When I was reading the article about it, it said the captain, whose real name is Daryl Dragon, decided that he blah, blah, blah. After that, I was like, Daryl Dragon? Wait, wait, stop. Are you telling me that this guy has been in pop music this long and going by the captain when his name is Daryl Dragon? <laughs> I would have like a Kung Fu disco group. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's amazing. I had no idea his name was Daryl Dragon. Yeah. Well, I theorize that that might be something going on there. You know, maybe he's upset that he's had to go by. The captain for so long. But this guy, (laughs) Frederick Marriott, the reason that he's called the captain is because he was actually. uh, Yeah, he was a naval captain. I'll give you some quick bio on him. He's He's a pretty interesting guy. Born 1792 in London. This I thought was interesting. Marriott entered the Royal Navy in 1806, so he's about 14 years old. He'd already tried to run away to sea several times. Wow. So this is somebody who's just got the the ocean in his blood. He just wants to get out there. Right. Over the next 24 years, he went all over the world and eventually became a captain. His first novel was called The Naval Officer, and he resigned a year after its publication because he wanted to be a full-time writer. Mm -hmm. And all of his books were basically about sailing and the things that he had seen while he was on his travels. He wrote about a novel per year. Mr. Midshipman Easy was probably the one that was most successful. When he was in living in London as a writer, he was friends with Charles Dickens, so he had some esteemed company there. Oh, I knew he was a contemporary. I didn't know they actually knew each other. Yeah, they would bang around together. And then later he moved to the country and he continued to write, doing some children's books. Although I definitely don't think this story that we're covering today would have would have fit in with the children's No, literature. sir. No. <laughs> he died in 1848. He's kind of thought of as the the best of the uh, seafaring story and was as such was a big influence on Joseph Conrad and Ernest Hemingway. Right. That's our story today. I was, I'm pretty excited that we're reading something that's genuinely by a sea captain. It's a dream come true. Uh, the White Wolf of the Hearts Mountains is what most people call this now. I just wanted to, we're going to call it that even though Lovecraft called it the werewolf because I want to make sure that we don't confuse it with the story from last year. Even though there, there's a couple similarities. Yeah, we'll both feature female werewolves. When we see the female werewolf, when she pops up in the story here, mm-hmm. Spoiling, of course. Yeah, uh, she's got like white fur that she's wearing and stuff as well, which yeah. was the that was what the other lady was wearing. Yeah, yeah. Although I would say now, White Fell. I mean, those, that was tragic. The werewolf by Clemens Houseman that we yeah were, that was a tragic story. But this one is a far darker kind of tragedy. Oh my god, yeah. Except for the pretty comical end. Right. There's a kind of there's a punchline <laughs> at the end. Definitely. He mentioned the book, The Phantom Ship. Lovecraft did. I thought it was important that we kind of get the context before we jump in here. Sure. The entire book is about this guy, Philip, who's on a quest to save his father, okay, who's been doomed to sail as the captain of the phantom ship. It's a punishment that the father has experienced because he killed a crew member. He made some kind of rash oath to the heavens. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of the context. Philip's going around trying to find the phantom ship and save his father from having to sail it. But the theme of what happened to his father seems to also be present in this story. Yeah. And what that means exactly, I think, is going to be mostly what we're trying to figure out. 
right you know as we go through this as we do this and yeah. this isn't we're gonna take two weeks to do this story judging from how far along we already are yeah yeah i think we're gonna break this in, into two you read a different slightly different version than i did i did i my version of the story had this beginning which is about these two guys in this boat leaving this island and they got a supply of foods they left a bunch of other soldiers on this island with a bunch of gold they're going to fight over the gold there's been, they said as they were leaving there's already an altercation they just don't want any part of whatever's going on in this island it's not explained exactly what happened yeah. but they're leaving because they know things are going to go south and they want to try and get home they've got a month's worth of rations and i'm like what is going on in the story it isn't and i felt like well i knew that it was part of a, a greater collection of stories and that it must tie into this big arc and i was wondering how long it would be before we actually got to the real story which it's not too long it's not too long uh, at all really it's a couple of paragraphs where they describe that altercation that you talked about right. where they, yeah. they're taking coconuts and loading up their boat because they need supplies and the soldiers on the shore are fighting over this gold and don't even care what they're doing. Yeah. But what I, I downloaded the story, you can get it for free from Kindle or mm -hmm. from the Amazon store. I downloaded it to my Kindle and all of that stuff is taken out because I think this story was lifted from the book and republished in lots of different anthologies and things. So I think I read that version mm -hmm. and that whole story you heard about the soldiers and the gold is summed up in my version. It just says before noon, Philip and Krantz had embarked. That's it. <laughs> they don't tell you any of that other stuff. So yeah. I was confused when I opened this up. But the, the story that I linked out to from our show notes is going to be the one with the larger intro in it. So just be aware yeah, that it's a continuing story from the book. The two characters are introduced there, right? Philip and Kranz. Right, yeah. And they have a long conversation about good and evil and how there are good spirits and evil spirits and how they um, affect the real world. Well, the beginning, what we heard from Andrew reading in the beginning there was basically... I believe what Philip had told Krantz was the story of how he was searching for his father on the ship. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm assuming that's the story he told him. Right. And Krantz has said, I have one that's just like that, actually. That's the story that we're going to hear. But this little discussion they have, I thought, had an interesting kind of theological premise before we hear the story. Okay, sure. Hopefully will help us figure out the events and the theme. Because I'm, a, I'm still struggling with why the things that happened in the story happened. Yeah. Uh, or what the author meant from it. Or if there was any intention at all, but... I think what Philip is saying here is that evil spirits are real and they're after us and they influence us. Mm -hmm. So we have evil natures, all of us, that we have to deal with. But then also there's these malevolent spirits after us. But if that's true, then it must also be true that there are good spirits that are influencing things in our, to our advantage and trying to help us. And since we're influenced by both negative and positive spirits, at the end of the day, it's still just man that matters. I think he says man is still a free agent as his own virtuous or vicious propensities must ever decide whether he shall gain or lose the victory. His premise is that, yes, we are acted upon by outside forces, but at the end of the day, man is still the most important thing, and your decisions are what matter more than anything. I thought that was interesting. I, I don't know how that really plays out in this story. For them to have had the discussion right before this, I think it's a, I think it's the key to decoding what happened in here. All right. But I, I just don't know why. We'll talk about it. Okay, well, so let's just get on to the story. What what does Krantz tell him in the boat? What, what happened? He's from Transylvania, and his father was a serf, and he was married. He had three children, his older brother, Caesar, Herman, which is... The guy telling the story. Krantz, that's his first name, Herman. And Marcella, who's the his younger sister. Okay. Now, the local lord, because his mom was so beautiful, the local lord took a fancy to her, sent his dad off to do some work or some labor out of town. Yeah. Dad got done early, came back, found out his wife was digging the lord, and they were hooking up together. He got so angry about that that he killed them both. Being a serf, you can't kill people, even if you're justified in your killing. I don't think... 
that is a justifiable killing, in my opinion. You know, if your wife's cheating on you, then just yeah. divorce her. Don't kill her. Um, <laughs> just, just saying. I don't know if divorce was something that was an option for these people, but sure, or just deal with it. There's people. Yeah. It, it happens. Okay. Anyway, N- nevertheless, though, I thought this this isn't this is a familiar inciting incident. Sure. Oh yeah. When Krantz describes his father, he says he was a serf. He was born a serf, but don't think that he was stupid. He was very intelligent. Yeah. He's a good businessman, and in fact, he was rich. He acquired a lot of money, but because he wasn't born into it, he would always remain a serf. He rose up within the ranks he gets a stewardship right right so he can he can rise to that but that's about as far as he can go i think that's key to this too because you know was it justifiable for him to kill his wife as well or to kill no. i mean the fact that you can acquire anything that you can get your hands on through your own skills in the world you're still not as good as somebody who was just born into another family i see this happen you know kind of reminds me of something like braveheart you know that guy sure. i command that i get to sleep with your wife before you can sleep with her or even our book deadbeats I'm going to punch out this mob guy, and even though I was doing it to prevent a rape, the fact that I'm black means that I was at fault, so I got to get out of town. Yeah, but that's that. That is different. That's a totally different circumstance because I mean, he was protecting another person, whereas in this, this act was an act of rage and revenge. It wasn't. Who's it helping? Who's it protecting? Nobody. Yeah. By killing his wife and this guy. Sure, sure. No, I agree. I, I think actually you just said it. I think it was an act of rage. And perhaps that's what he's going to be punished for. I'm not sure. The type of punishment that happens in this, it just seems so awful and unfair. And, and yeah. we'll get to it. I'm, I'm, okay. Well, so from Transylvania, because of what happened, he has to go on the run with the kids. And all they remember is, or actually, Krantz, who's telling the story, doesn't even remember this flight no. from uh, Transylvania. But basically, he packs the kids up and they just run. And they have to get out because anywhere they go to Transylvania, they'll get found. Mm-hmm. So they have to ro- you know, cross into Germany. And, and he goes up to the Hartz Mountains and gets a little cottage together out in the woods, out in the wilderness. I think they're two miles away from their nearest neighbors. Yeah. And that's where they're going to squat and kind that's of right. hide. So when this particular tale happens, the meat of the story, Caesar's nine, he's seven, and his sister's five years old. It's pretty rough because their dad goes out hunting every day. And they, man, this is just rough part of the story where it just yeah. kind of hurt my heart where he wouldn't have the fires burning during the day so the kids had to like in the winter time just bundle up underneath the rugs and the furs to keep warm and they would wait till he get home and then they'd start the fires up i mean it's like during the spring and summer they can run around in the woods do whatever they want but in the winter it's too cold for them to be outside and he's also scared they're going to hurt themselves with cooking oil or fire or anything like that so he just won't let them have it right yeah i felt terrible for them too they're just all three of them together all day huddled under these blankets to stay warm, waiting for him to come home. Hopefully he's caught some food. Yeah. And he's not particularly pleasant to Marcella either, right? No, no. He gets, he just gets angry. He seems like a really angry guy. And again, this this rage that I was talking about earlier. Point in the story, he hits her and he hits her so hard that she bleeds from the mouth. And the boys, cause she's really sweet. Like they just talk about how sweet this little girl is, how they don't really even quarrel with each other, the brothers, but even when they start to quarrel, the girl will step in and just kind of calm things down. Yeah. And they're really protecting each other from obviously an abusive father. And it's just just mm-hmm. terrible. Like this whole setup is just, I really feel for these kids. There was a piece of writing here that, that especially made me feel bad because they describe how they have to stay in the cold all day. And then he comes home one night and he's upset, as you said, he hits the girl. And then when they hear this howling by their cottage, Mm-hmm. And he hasn't caught anything all day. That's the reason that he's upset. Mm-hmm. He grabs his gun and he leaves. So they're in there waiting for him and waiting and waiting. They're hoping that he catches something because they want him to cheer up. Yeah. Not just because they don't get beat, but what he he says is he said, we loved our father. 
we love to see him cheerful and happy for what else had we to look up to yeah it's just like oh man that's so harsh i feel so bad and and he also reveals here because he's saying um you know as you were saying that marcella always clears things up among the kids Mm -hmm. philip at this point in the story is like you're giving a lot of details about how nice she is did she she dead then and yeah and Krantz says, yeah, she she died, but how she died is actually what this story is about. Oh, and that, yeah, that was a bit of a blow to me when I was reading. Because yeah. at this point in the story, I'm I'm on board. I'm totally dug in. So, I mean, it's really good writing, and I'm really interested. And there's something that really rings true about it. That's a very realistic, even though this is kind of a folktale sort of thing, that whole setup is pretty realistic. And the way that the... That he talks about their relationship with their father and how they love him and how they just hope that his mood is good and when his mood's good they're good and it just sounds like an abusive father relationship how there's t- or an alcoholic father sure. people that have had to deal because with because he's thing. sad that's the reason he's do- he this manifested because he was betrayed by his wife so he just hates women yeah this is why he's taking it out so hard on the girl oh well they're waiting so long while he's out there hunting they don't know what happened to him really it's getting close to midnight they're like let's go ahead and put some dinner on they're starving yeah we're not supposed to do this but let's just cook because we can't wait around forever Mm -hmm. and then suddenly they hear the sound of a horn their father comes back to the cottage he shows up and he's got these two people with him Mm -hmm. and at that point krantz says all right let me back up here and tell you what happened when my father left this is what i found out years later Mm -hmm. when they heard the howl the father went outside and he saw this large white wolf it was it didn't run from him. It growled, it, it stared at him, and it retreated, but slowly. And so for hours, he follows this wolf. It'll kind of go back and then come forward. It's it's baiting him, really, right? Mm-hmm. Now, in the Hearts Mountains, there are supposedly these evil spots. You know, there's parts of the woods that are inhabited by evil influences, and all the woodsmen and all the hunters, they know where those are, and they say just avoid them. Yeah. But because he's so hot after this wolf, he's not even thinking about that. And the wolf leads him up to one of these places. And then just suddenly disappears. And then in the distance, he hears the sound of a horn, mm-hmm. and which is what the kids heard back at the, the house. Mm-hmm. And he follows the sound of the horn, and there's this guy on horseback, and he has a, a woman with him on, on horseback. Mm-hmm. And she looks weak or injured or something's wrong with her. You can't quite tell. He says, you know, what are you doing out here in the middle of the night? And he says, well, my daughter's injured. We're kind of in a hurry, and we're on the run. Can you mm-hmm. help us? The kid's father says, yeah, of course, my cottage is nearby. And this is kind of where he gets hooked in. He says, we escaped from Transylvania where my daughter's honor and my life were equally in jeopardy. Yeah. Which to him, he relates to because it was his honor that was insulted yeah. back in Transylvania. And so that totally gets these people on the father's side. Right. He immediately is like, oh, I escaped from Transylvania too. This is amazing. I mean, he doesn't tell them that right away, but of no. course I'm going to take you in. Come down to my cottage. I'll get you some food. Well, what limited food we have, but at least I can get you shelter from this. You know, I followed this white wolf up here, but I couldn't get it. And I think the man even says, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that wolf, but I couldn't get a shot off in time. Good thing it led you up here, though. Otherwise, you would have never found us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, the, so these are the people that Krantz's father is showing up with. Right. They come into the cottage. The kids already have dinner going, which makes the visitors very happy. And this is when we, as you had already referenced, we get a, we get a look at that woman. The female must, however, be particularly described. She was young and apparently 20 years of age. She was dressed in a traveling dress deeply bordered with white fur and wore a cap of white ermine on her head. Her features were very beautiful, at least I thought so, and so my father has since declared. Her hair was flaxen, glossy and shining and bright as a mirror, and her mouth, although somewhat large when it was open, showed the most brilliant teeth I have ever beheld. 
but there was something about her eyes, bright as they were, which made us children afraid. They were so restless, so furtive. I could not at that time tell why, but I felt as if there was cruelty in her eye, and when she beckoned us to come to her, we approached her with fear and trembling. Still, she was beautiful, very beautiful. She spoke kindly to my brother and myself, patted our heads and caressed us. But Marcella would not come near her. On the contrary, she slunk away and hid herself in the bed and would not wait for the supper which half an hour before she had been so anxious for. Similar to White Fowl, you know, dressed in white clothing and everything, mm-hmm. just as... And it's a white wolf. Yeah, but it, but similar to the description the first time we saw White Fell back in the other yeah. werewolf story. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about this story. I, I actually knew what was going to happen in it. I searched the title, wondering if there was any research on it. And there's a few people who've written about it. Before I knew what had happened, I'd read the synopsis. Uh-huh. I sort of kind of wish I hadn't because I think the the horrors in here would have really surprised me. They did me because I didn't read any. I just sat down and read the story. I had no... I try to read everything we do clean. Well, I should have done the same thing because I kind of, when I introduced her, I was just like, okay. <laughs> but you know what I also thought in this section is the character in here is a monster. And I think we're not used to monsters being actual monsters anymore, culturally. Werewolves are pretty much like they're good guys in movies and stuff. Even if it's a movie where the werewolf is the monster, it's mostly terrorizing the, the person who is the werewolf, yeah. if you know what I mean. Like they're they're trying really hard to to take over that bestial nature. They don't want to become the werewolf. No, you know if it's something like dog soldiers or something, they're just they're crazy monsters. They don't have any calculation to them at all. They're just to come eat you. Right. This werewolf does something that's like demonic. Like she, it makes a calculated choice to do the most anti-human <laughs> like thing. Sure, it's a mother figure. Who comes in and kills? I mean, you know, we should tell people anyway. There's child murder in here. If, if you don't already yeah. get the whiff of that, no, no, it's it's pretty brutal and horrific. So yeah, be warned. To me, it just she's so evil. She's such a monster. It's almost something that I'm just not used to. But I just feel like when I see a werewolf in anything now, they're always kind of relatable. Whereas this is classical monster. There's no. I'm only evil because I was hurt or I was something bad happened to me, and I don't really want to be evil, but. I'm just evil because of my circumstance. No, this is a pure evil, a creature exactly. of evil, no good. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that is what this is. <laughs> <laughs> you don't relate to it at all because it is just horrible. Well, they come in. The father gets them their food and, and he sits with the other man and they, they talk by the fire and they give the woman his bed, which right. is close to the bed the children sleep in. Right. So, yeah, the children and and the woman all go to sleep and the two men stay, stay awake by the fire and they keep talking to each other and they find out through their conversation that they are second cousins. Yeah. And because he reveals, you know, hey, I'm I'm on the run from Transylvania too because I killed my wife and her lover. And he goes, wait, no, you, that's you? I'm, I'm your cousin. I'm your cousin Wilfred uh, from Barnsdorf. Yeah. And they're like, oh my gosh, they get so excited and they hug each other and they yeah. drink some more and it's like everything's great. It's great for them, but over in the bed, Marcella trembles all night. Yeah. And everybody's getting along so well that the the two men go, hey, you know what? You guys are on the run. Why don't you stay in our cottage? It's going to be yeah. fine. Move in for a while. And the kids hear that. And, and they're um, like, oh, hell no. Yeah. Well, especially <laughs> Marcella. She says, oh, brother, I cannot bear to look upon that woman. I feel so frightened. She knows something is, is up. Off, yeah. However... The two men now every day are going out to hunt together, and they're leaving the kids with Christina, who is the uh, the woman. Right. Yeah. Name her here. And things change. Yeah. Well, she's 
she takes care of all the household duties and she's really nice to the kids. And Marcella eventually kind of gets into her and thinks that she's okay. His father, who was kind of anti-woman, seems to be melting on this whole anti-woman bit, is being very attentive to Christina. And basically he comes to the children, says, I've talked to her father and I'm going to marry Christina. And it's been arranged. It's going gonna, it's, it's, it's gonna to happen. Yeah, they're going to get married, but they're so far out. There's no church they can go to or there's nowhere they can get this sanctified, this marriage. Yeah, exactly. So the, the father of the woman says, hey, you know what? We're going to do kind of a special saying. We're going to say some words. You know, you know, I know you're Christian, but the pagan stuff's still good to us. And it, you know, it feels like it's going to mean something. So let's just say these words. <laughs> yeah. And the, the dad's like, well, I don't, why do we have to do this? This is weird. And he goes, well, look, hey, I'm giving you my daughter. Okay. Can you just humor me on this? And he's like, all right, okay, sure. Yeah. Well, I'll say, I'll say your words. Yeah. It was, I, <laughs> I actually thought it was kind of a funny scene because he goes by, all right, you ready to take the oath? Great. By all the spirits of the heart's mountains. And the father's like, what? I don't want to say that. And he's like, well, <laughs> if you don't want to say it, you know, I guess I could take my daughter. And we, he goes, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, proceed. <laughs> Impatiently. Uh, Another flaw of the father's that's going to come back to haunt him because the oath he takes is not particularly... It's a little odd for a marriage oath. I swear by all the spirits of the Hearts Mountains, by all their power for good or for evil, that I take Christina for my wedded wife, that I will ever protect her, cherish her, and love her, that my hand shall never be raised against her to harm her. And if I fail in this my vow, may all the vengeance of the spirits fall upon me and upon my children. May they perish by the vulture, by the wolf, or other beasts of the forest. May their flesh be torn from their limbs and their bones blanch in the wilderness. All this I swear. <laughs> so not non-traditional ceremony. Now I'm kind of regretting that I didn't use those at my wedding. <laughs> it would be kind of funny. The dad hesitates a little bit, but he repeats all the words. And when he does that, Marcella bursts into tears. Yeah. Uh, and he turns around and says, oh, shut up. And she buries herself under the bedclothes. So that's the second marriage. Oh, and also Wilfred, who's the uh, the other hunter that, that he's related to. Christina's dad. Says, well, if you're going to marry my daughter, you know, I don't need to be around anymore then. That's cool. Um, yeah. I'm just going to beat it. I'm just going to beat it. And he says, well, that's okay. I mean, you could stay for a while or, you know, don't just run. And he goes, no, no. Once you guys are married, I'm out of here. doesn't matter where I go, which I thought was a little <laughs> odd. Yep. <laughs> so the marriage happens, and the father takes off, and now Christina is their stepmother. Yeah. That's when she changes towards the children. No longer does she treat them nicely. It was like all of that was for show because clearly she was looking to get hooked up with this. Because she's flipping evil. Yeah, they're in for it. So uh, we're running out of time here. I guess we could pick it up from after this oath next time. Yeah. And if we, you know, and if we cover it really fast in the next episode, then we can always, there's lots of werewolf stuff to talk about. Oh my God, is there ever. As as always. So let's tie it up there for now. I want to thank our advertiser again. Yeah, Modifius with the third edition of Mutant Chronicles role-playing game. Check it out. Go to the Kickstarter. It's in our show notes. You can read up on it. Watch the video. Give them some money. I think it's going to be really cool stuff. And I also want to thank our fantastic reader, once again, Mr. Andrew Lehman. He's like Odin. He is kind of like Odin. Yeah. Except he's got two eyes. And no ravens. He sleeps a fairly normal length of time, I believe. Uh, yeah. But he's powerful. Like he's Odin. powerful. Yes, that's exactly right. That's what it That's is. what I mean. Very, Not physically or any other real way. <laughs> and as always, uh, you can always go over to uh, CthulhuLives.org to check out all the great H.P. Lovecraft Historical Society 
products that they have for sale over there. Lots did, of radio dramas. What, what did you just say? What, say that. Say, say the name I, of. I, yeah, no, I know. I caught myself. Th- I have no idea how that happened. I said, H. Uh, you did say H. Yeah, it came out that way. I don't know. The English people here say H. They do. That was an accident. I didn't mean to say it that way. That's so strange, though, that you do because I, I hear it here all the time and it drives me crazy. Does it? Yeah, it's odd. H. 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 P. Lovecraft. Well, I, it was an H. accident. See, now that's funny that you do it because I'm the one living here. You think I would be making those kind of blunders. You would think. Those kind of sloppy, disgusting mistakes. Yeah, they're horrible things to be excised from spoken language. <laughs> Goddamn Americans. Uh, yeah. Well, they say in England, they don't say werewolf, though, I heard. They say wee-wolf. Do they say wee-wolf? I, no, they don't. I don't know. <laughs> let's, let's, let's tell people that, though. Let's get that one started. Yeah, if you ever are talking about that in England, make sure you go, wee-wolf. They say it like that, too. High, high-pitched. Wee-wolf. It's British, man. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to do that, too. Whenever I say werewolf to people, I go, or as you would say, wee-wolf. Yeah, or as you would say, it's like, it's like slightly condescending. Oh, the Brits. Well, I am so excited about Werewolf History Month. I am, too. I'm going to have to go back and check to make sure I don't repeat any of my werewolf facts. Yeah, we want new ones. Oh, that's right. We did list a bunch of werewolves. Yeah, we need new ones, new information. Well, it's 2014. The werewolf landscape has changed slightly. Oh, my God. Has it ever? Yeah, it's a different werewolvery world than it used to be. It's a wolf world. Well, that's all we got for this week, folks. We're going to be back next week uh, with more Werewolf History Month. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey, and you've been listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. hppodcraft.com.